unfolded something. Okay. All right. Well, Stephanie just started talking. So welcome to <laughs> you were recording Spooky Town, everyone. Oh. Um, yeah, I hit record. Great. Um, welcome to the Spooky Town podcast, everybody. I am Ashley, and with me as always is my sister Stephanie. Um, she's here. She's rocking. She's ready. She's she's rolling. <laughs> Steph, how's it going? I'm bolding. She is bold. She's maniacally yeah. going through the um thirteen page notes document that we have put together and uh, bolding and highlighting things because I wrote <sighs> Vir- a lot of Virgos. Notes. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? Mm. I don't know. I don't really. I don't my really my Sam Raimi joke was funnier than that. Uh, yeah it was it really was um <laughs> anyway hi everyone anyways <laughs> hey steph what's going on not much ashley what's going on with you um nothing just hanging out it is a beautiful day here in seattle gorgeous getting ready to talk about some spooky stuff which, uh, which is very exciting um what it's are you doing today? A departure from what we normally do. Yeah, like a huge change. So this is new territory for us. We've never spoken about spooky stuff before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> today we are talking about the stylist. Oh, not much of a drum roll there. You didn't. I got too excited. The I'm, drum roll. I'm too excited about done. it because I but really okay. like this one. Yeah, so Steph said it. We're watching a uh, spooky movie called The Stylist, which is fantastic. Um, it was a short film. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. No, I'm just going to say exactly talking. what you go were ahead. saying. It's fine. <laughs> it Well, I feel like I should introduce it because I'm the one who found it. All right. So That's true. Stephanie did discover it. The Stylist is a... Uh, originally a short from a few years ago that I originally found, I think sometime last year when I was on a big short horror binge. Um, I watched it on Alter's YouTube channel and I really liked it at the time. And I just like recently realized I know the star. I've never seen uh, Contracted Mm-hmm. With Najara Townsend, who is the star of both the short and the movie. But I knew her face. I think I had watched like the beginning of Contracted and it was just like a little too upsetting for me. But I knew her and I didn't realize that was her until a few days ago. But uh, I really liked it. And then a couple of years later, they adapted it into a full feature length film. Mm-hmm. And Ashley and I watched it uh, last night and it was wonderful. So that's the stylist. Really good. Really good. Um, and we're going to go into all the, we've got stuff about the behind the scenes. Um, we've got, you know, some think pieces that we've gone through and taken some notes on. There's a lot of really interesting stuff to say about the stylist. So I'm really excited to go into that. Um, but first, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the spooky stuff that we've been watching this week. And uh, Steph, why don't you... Uh, Take us away. It looks like we watched about the same amount of things 
We didn't watch mm-hmm. very much between now and last time. Um, but outside of well, the stylist, we had like a month between <laughs> the episode true. before that, and now I watched, now we're back on track. So <laughs> yeah, I outside of the stylist, I watched Grave Encounters, Extraterrestrial, Troll Hunter, and The Power. The and Power. I've never heard of The Power. What's that about? It's all right. It um, it's about this nurse back in. God, I think maybe the 70s or something in England when I guess there was a time like in reality in in England when there were blackouts, like scheduled blackouts every night because I think it was like there was some sort of uh, strike going on, I think with like miners, like coal miners Mm. or something like that. And they were on a huge labor strike and... Uh, in response, the English government was shutting down power to conserve, like, across the city every single night. Gotcha. Okay. E- except some emergency power to hospitals. And it's about this nurse who is, like, her first day in this new hospital. She's, like, fresh from nurse school. Mm-hmm. And she's terrified of the dark. And she's put on a night shift. Ooh. So, it's all right. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, the premise sounds cool. It can be. It's a bit upsetting. There are some some definite uh, trigger warnings for sexual assault, things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Not happening in the movie, but about that themes of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was all right. Yeah. Um, that sounds cute. Uh, Troll Hunter is, of course, always a a fave. Troll Hunter is wonderful. I we found <laughs> Troll Hunter. I don't know if you remember, but around ten or so years ago, uh, mm-hmm. our family and I we had to live briefly in a hotel because uh, a tree came crashing through our roof one fateful <sighs> yeah. winter, which was a fun time. Um, but I remember when we were like, I think it was you, Mom, and I were watching TV in one of the the rooms at the hotel we caught like we we started watching troll hunter in like the sort of like the beginning middle ish of the movie because mm. it was on tv and we're like troll hunter this sounds so stupid and then it ended up being like really really good it just like blew our minds yeah yeah like and that's how i found troll hunter was because of hotel tv i don't see it's good thing that you have memory about some I, I feel like we compliment each other well because i don't remember that at all <laughs> i do remember um watching it for the first time but i don't remember like my surroundings or anything so yeah i um, remember that because okay we we came in about like 20 minutes into the movie mm. and then we watched the rest of it we were like this is going to be so stupid let's watch it and then we we're like oh <laughs> this is actually really good and then we eventually yeah, all yeah. watched it in full and so that's that. just so everyone, I'll give you a little bit of, I'll expand a little bit on that story because I'm sure that sounded very exciting and um, you probably are just clamoring to know more about it. Uh, it's exactly what Stephanie said. A tree basically fell on our house and um, broke the roof. I was, I think I, I had just graduated college at the time. So I think I yeah. was like 22 or something. And um, I graduated right in the middle of the recession. So 
I had um, no job prospects <laughs> and well, was this, working. This was in, a, oh God, 2011? Yes. Yeah, because it was uh, yep, the year, yeah. it was in the beginning of 2011 and I went, I transferred to a university in fall yeah. of that year. And then you went right. to get your master's that yes, fall as well. I did. So I, I had just graduated with my bachelor's and I was back home for a year. I was working at a grocery store and, um, and it was like the recession and everything was bad. Um, and we had a particularly tough winter and um, we had these two dead trees on our property. One had fallen like the first year we had moved there, which we had moved to this place when I was like 13. Um, And a tree had fallen and just like narrowly missed our house. Like it scraped the side of our house, but it didn't actually fall on the house. It fell on the deck. Um, And then in 2011, when I was 22, uh, the second tree fell because it was so heavy and dead from this harsh winter that it just fell and it, it fell square on top of our house. And me and my mom and Stephanie were all sitting in the living room watching TV The office. I remember we were watching the office. Oh, we were watching the office for some reason in my memory, it's family guy. And I don't know. It doesn't. Oh, I don't know. Well, but now I'm, it doesn't I'm matter. Myself. I think <laughs> it was The Office. It might it very well. It was really like the two shows we watched a lot of. Um, but it came like it just hit our house. And um, I thought I was going to die. Like I thought because I knew what the sound was because you could hear the crack from like the distance. And we knew what that sound was. It was a tree falling. Um, and you kind of just sit there and wait till you hear it fall all the way <laughs> it's like this few seconds of terror where you don't know where this tree is going to fall but i remember hearing it um growing up in that house off in the distance a lot of times but this one sounded really close and it, of course it was close so it fell on our house and um uh so essentially after that happened we were all fine stephanie uh got a little bit hurt um, I think your glasses got pushed into your nose or something. So there was some. Yeah. Well, well, before that, I, I remember exactly my thought when it happened. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I don't remember hearing the crack, but I remember the second it hit the roof yeah. and the ceiling fell. Yes. My first thought was like, are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, of course this would happen to us. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that was my first thought. And then my. Next thought was run. So, and we were sitting, uh, my cat, Bub, was right next to me. She bolted. So, thankfully, she didn't get hurt. But I was wearing glasses and a a bit of ceiling hit me, Mm -hmm. like, right there, like, on my face on the nose. Yeah. And it pushed it into the bridge of my nose. And I have a little scar right there. Um, But none of us were hurt. Like, that was, that was it. No. Yeah. Thank God. Um. Because my thought was I was sitting on the couch, but I was kind of like between two couches. And so I couldn't like get away quick enough. Um, so my mom was sitting in, in between me and Stephanie, I think. And Steph, you were able to get off the couch and you I think you ran back. I ran. Up, yeah. And then my mom just put her body over. <laughs> 
Um, and my thought was I was just waiting for like a tree to fall on me was my yeah. thought. I was like, well, this is it. Like, <laughs> yeah, die. Um, that was one of two near death. Well, in my mind, it was a near death experience that I've had in my life. And that was one of them because I remember in that moment, you know how you like kind of come to peace with it or something. You're like, this is it. And then it doesn't happen. And you're like, okay, I made that. I made it out of that one. I, I just think it's funny that I, I didn't even think about dying. I just was annoyed. <laughs> I was like, of course, <laughs> like, yeah, this tracks. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, this would be what fucking happened to me today. That yeah. Exactly. My thoughts. And then my next thought was run. Rest, and then yeah. I, I ran back by the stairs and I crouched and then I just like cried for a bit because it was very shocking. But <laughs> yeah, it was so, annoyance to fear. Yeah, it was it was a dramatic night. Um, it was a dramatic night. We went to. And so basically for the next five to six months or so, we lived in a in a hotel pretty far from where our uh, our house was. But it was it was being fixed while we were in this hotel. And that's where we watched Troll Hunter. <laughs> that's the story of Troll Hunter. <laughs> Thanks, Troll uh, so, Hunter. Yeah, it Thanks, was Troll Hunter. Horror does help you get through some some shit. Um, so that's a good little line. That's a good lineup. I like we said. I had the same um, about the same amount of horror oh. movies that I remember watching, but I have a terrible memory. Oh, do you have another one? Oh, you know what? I did yes. actually watch a different movie too. Go ahead, tell tell us about that yes, one. You, so I I just remembered I also watched What Keeps You Alive, which is a movie I I, I rewatched it. This is the second time I watched it. I really love that movie for some reason. I the name of it does not stick in my head, and mm. my whenever I try to think of it, my first thought goes to We Are What We Are which is a completely different horror movie that I have never watched all the way through. It has absolutely nothing to do with what keeps you alive. Yeah. I have no idea what my, my brain goes there, but it's well, it kind of, it's, it's got like a similar ring to it. I guess. I don't know. But then yeah. I, I've also referred to it as what keeps us alive. And then I've had to be corrected. It's like, no, it's what keeps you alive. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a really good movie. And I was on a Brittany <laughs> Allen kick. So I also rewatched Extraterrestrial. <laughs> I've never seen What Keeps You Alive. Maybe I should watch that. Yeah, you have. Have I? Yeah. Do I also just not remember the name? Probably. It's it's two um, like, uh, women. They're I think they're like newlyweds. And they go to oh, one of their like family yes. cabins. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is an amazing movie. It's really, really good. That's such a good movie. And I, <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna go on a really big Brittany Allen kick real soon here. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's su- that's really, really good. Um, so I, I too watched The Stylist, of course. Um, but I also, <laughs> I watched a movie last night called Butt Boy, um, which. I had never heard of. Have you seen it, Stephanie? No, but please okay. tell me. 
Okay, so I found out about it because I was just scrolling um, Instagram, of all things, and saw that there was an interview with John Waters, and he said it was one of his favorite movies of, like, all time. And I I was like, what? (laughs) Butt boy. So I looked it up, and I watched... That tracks with John Waters, to be honest. right? (laughs) It really does. And so... um, I watched the the trailer with my boyfriend and we were like, yes, must watch. So it's about this guy who he basically is just in this point in his life where everything is going wrong and he just feels very like helpless and without power. And um, he starts to uh, put things up his butt but it's like they get bigger and bigger. They become bigger and bigger things. And eventually it becomes like people start disappearing up his butt. And sure. um, yeah. And the, he, uh, he basically like befriends through AA this cop and he becomes his sponsor, but the cop is like a detective and he starts, he's investigating this disappearance of a little boy um, and starts to connect it back to this guy. And um, it's just about that, essentially, is like trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And it's very like, it's very dark, but it's also kind of funny. But it's not silly, if that makes any sense. Like you think butt boy, like that sounds incredibly silly. But it's actually it's a really good movie. It's really kind of like heavy and atmospheric and strange. It's more surreal and dark than silly, I would say. Um, but it's doesn't take itself overly seriously. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a really good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, never in a million years have I, I I've never seen a movie like quite like it before. It's it's very out there. That's reminding me of have you seen abc's of horror no i haven't seen that um i forget because you know like the basic premise yeah it's like people dying in different ways right well it's like an anthology where they go through each letter in the alphabet and it's a so it's like 26 different little short horror films one of them like it might be f for like farting or flatulence or something. Yeah. Is this little thing. I think this was around when I stopped watching it. Cause I was like, I can't handle this anymore, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of similar from what I remember. She farts. And then I think people like, I forget it's something to do with farting. And I think people go up her ass. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. I, that's from all I remember. <laughs> I try to put it out of my head. So <laughs> this is a it's a solid movie. It reminded me of have you ever seen uh, Swallow? Yeah. You've seen that? Yeah. Um it's a great movie. It kind of reminded me of that except with butts. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking of when you were describing yeah. it. I'm like this kind of reminds me of Swallow yeah. but in the, a because, different orifice. Yeah, cuz he he uses it as like an escape. Um so He's well, he uses it oh, as so like a coping mechanism slash escape. So it feels really good to him. And also it, it gets rid of things. So he's purposely putting things up his butt. Yeah. Yeah. He purposely oh, shoves okay. things up his ass. So like people are going and then people start going missing and he goes on these like sprees 
of he'll start he'll try to stop for a while and he starts small with like you know a remote or something like that and then it gets bigger and bigger and something um, small you know like a tv remote up your ass well because the thing that he works up to is like human beings so (laughs) so human beings start disappearing up his ass but like um it's obviously impossible <laughs> to fit a person up your ass, but it is right. ostensibly possible to fit a remote. And that's yes. not a small item. So No, it's not. I, I mean unless, unless I reject you your those, your unless attestation you have of, of Apple small. TV. <laughs> those little Apple TV remotes. That's pretty easy. Um I'm just kidding. Okay. I don't I'm I concerned. We're moving on. Um so mm-hmm. and then I watched Boys from County Hell, which is a new uh it's an Irish horror movie on Shudder. Um and I haven't finished it yet. We're like halfway through and then I we got we're old and got tired and went to sleep. Um so I have to finish it still, but I'm I'm we're through like the first half of it. It's pretty good. It's about um vampires um cool yeah and then i <laughs> i went on a little james Wan. i had a james Wan yeah, moment, I see and i watched here <laughs> i watched insidious which is so much less scary now than it was when i watched I, it years I ago i like insidious though that's like i do too the only james one horror movie that i like i, I really love, like insidious i do too um it is obviously because i've already seen it and it's now like what over 10 years old it's gonna it's like a little bit less scary but um it's still good and then um just because i wanted to watch like a horror movie that i don't particularly like that much and that we could kind of laugh at we watched the conjuring 2 um you know when you get in oh i don't want to hear it (laughs) you watch the entire annabelle i absolutely did not watch the entire (laughs) annabelle i still haven't seen the first one thank you okay (laughs) all right um and then only watched the second and third and i've seen the third several times so and And i paid for it on it on a plane one time (laughs) and because it was the literally the best option available (laughs) (laughs) what's it called the annabelle Annabelle creation okay that's the third one okay um and then i i actually watched from stem to stern we are what we are oh you Um, watched that yeah oh okay well that's fortuitous yeah I know. I know when you when you brought it up, I was like, "Oh shit! Wait, I did watch that this week." So, um, how was that? I, That's kind of what I felt about it. Like several years ago, when yeah. I tried to watch it, I was like, "I can tell that it's good." It's just I don't know if it's my thing. It's yeah. It to be honest with you, like I felt like they were. I felt like the the atmosphere maybe could have been built a little bit better. It just felt like that's such a intense subject matter, but the movie didn't feel that intense. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Like I wasn't super wrapped up in it as they were going along and I'm like this is really like spoilers for anybody just skip forward like a minute um it's about 
a family of cannibals. I don't think that's spoilers. And just in I'm, case, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's like on and Google. it's been out it's been out forever. Um so get over it. No, I'm kidding. Um but it's about a family of cannibals, which is like that's in really intense, but I just never felt like I don't know. It was just a little bit it wasn't it wasn't my thing. Um so that's what I watched this week. Cool. Some butts, some cannibals, some some vampires, and some stylists. Yeah, some stylists are having a bad day. So I would say that. Um, or a bad <laughs> series of days. So let's get into the stylist. Let's. let's do it. So um the stylist is like we said it was a short film at first that came out in 2016 and it did really well on the festival circuit um won some awards uh was very popular currently it's it's on altar um it's featured on altar and it's got like over a million and a half views there so it's just a very popular short film mm-hmm. um and it was because it was so popular it in 2000 and a couple years later um the director whose name is Jill Six Gavargazian she decided to put it on Kickstarter um put the the feature film project on Kickstarter and see if she could raise some money there to get that started and it was very successful it raised um, a little over $60,000 there so that was enough to get the money off Kickstarter and start the actual feature length film which uh debuted in 2020 uh it is now available to stream on Arrow exclusively right now as of April 2021 March 2021. Um, well, yeah, it was released in March. We're we're talking about it in April, but um, I know eventually it will be released um, on video and Blu-ray. But right now, it's on Arrow. Yeah, I think it's available for pre-order on Blu-ray right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's just kind of like the very short background of it. But um, we're gonna get into we're gonna get into a little bit about. We did a lot of research around behind the scenes stuff and like, you know, how it got made and all of that. And then we'll talk a little bit about the movie itself in tandem with that. So, um, so yeah, just a really great movie starring, um, Najara Townsend as Claire, who is a stylist, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> um, and she's fantastic. She absolutely knocks it out of the park. And then um, a co- her co-star is Brea Grant, who plays Olivia. And Brea is also a fantastic um, actress. She's been in a few uh, a few other horror movies, just like Najara. Um, I first saw Brea in Beyond the Gates, and that's how I started to know who she was. But she's a very talented actress and been in a lot of things. Um, but yeah, Steph, do you want to kick us off with just talking about um, the feature? Sure. And how it and how it opens, and then we can talk a little bit about um, the making of and all that stuff. Absolutely. So the the opening scene in the feature is basically the entire short. Um, so it's a nice little throwback for um, 
fans of the original short. Um, it is, although it's worth noting that her first client in the uh, the short is a different person, like canonically than in the movie. But anyway, right. so n- as Ashley mentioned, Najara Townsend is playing Claire, a uh, hairstylist, and it opens basically the basic plot is that she is a very lonely, alienated, very like psychologically fragile um, hairstylist. And what she does is not to everyone, but to some of her clients, those who are uh, typically not regulars, uh, they're like one-time clients. Um, she'll have appointments with them later in uh, like later during her shift when all the other stylists have left the salon and she gives them wine. She's like pampering them, but the wine is drugged. They fall asleep and she scalps them. Um, she hasn't, from what we can see in uh, when they eventually show like her, it's like her basement where she keeps all of these scalps slash wigs. Uh, there's not a ton of them. So it's not like she's killed, you know, countless people. But the, there's like a good amount, maybe like 10 or so. Yeah. so she's definitely done this a few times. Um, she scalps them and she wears their hair slash scalp as a way to kind of become them because she's very unhappy with herself. And this is very much expanded on in the movie, obviously, um, which I was so happy to find find out existed because I remember thinking when I first watched the short that she did such a good job and I really wanted to know more about her and I really wanted to see what else she could do. And then Mm -hmm. not, you know, a few days ago, (laughs) not even a week ago, I found out that it had been expanded into a movie. So I was very excited about that. Um, Yeah. And in the movie, they don't expand a ton on her like personal background. It's more just, it picks up where the short left off they mm-hmm. kind of hint at her background, but that's not really the focus of the movie. So that's the basic yeah. outline. No, that's great. And um, that was something that they talked about a bit in the behind the scenes uh, shorts that you'll see when when you watch the movie on Arrow. You'll see there's a bunch of um, behind the scenes films under it. But they talk about that. And Najara talks about how it's largely a character study. Mm-hmm. And she, both her and Jill, Jill, the director and the writer, um, worked together on who Claire was, but um, Najara largely created Claire or, you know, built her out um, in with her own research. Like she created memories for her and um, kind of built out her backstory where she thought there were gaps, things like that. And it was because of that, that, you know, she's got, you can tell that there's so much going on behind Claire as she's doing these, you know, doing these incredibly violent things. And as she's, you know, feeling all the emotions that she's feeling from day to day. And that's all coming from this, all this work that um, Najara and Jill were able to do together. And Jill is actually a hairstylist in Kansas City. Um, so, and Jill expressed in some of these behind the scenes films that Claire 
she has a she has kind of an affinity <laughs> with Claire because she um she too feels incredibly anxious and nervous around other people and so that kind of comes out in Claire's character a little bit. So um there's some parallels between the two of them there. Yeah, she said that just about the only difference with or one of the only differences between them is that she doesn't kill people. Yeah. <laughs> um but she they both have a lot of anxiety like Ashley said. Uh, actually, the the dog in both the short and the movie is Jill's dog, Pepper, who is adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like Claire in the uh, in the movie, she expresses that she does not do wedding hair. She doesn't do weddings because it stresses her out. And Jill said that that's the same thing to her. She's like, I just no, I don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. And I, I saw that you noted this too in your notes, you know, something I thought was interesting, a difference um, that you see in the opening sequences between the movie and the short is that in the short, uh, Claire seems to, she seems to be a little bit more confident. Um, yeah. I, she holds I herself it. up. Yeah. yeah. And that like was what I had noticed. Yeah. No, I, I noticed that too. That was one of the first things I noticed was that Claire seems a little bit more self-assured, a little bit more confident in the, uh, in the short. And you'll notice that when you watch the movie, it's a very sharp, um, it's a very, it's a big difference. Claire is not confident. She's often kind of looking at the ground, doesn't, isn't kind of sure of her words. Um, she feels very socially awkward and isolated. And it's very obvious from the, from the start of the movie, how uncomfortable she is around uh, people. And it's a little bit different in the short. Yeah. She was a lot more uh, like open and more outgoing in the short. Cause I, I hadn't watched it in like a year. And I I didn't rewatch the short before I watched the movie. So I watched mm-hmm. the movie and then I was kind of remembering her as being the same way in the short. And then I, I rewatched it after I watched the movie last night. And I'm like, oh, wow, there is pretty clear difference. So I'm wondering if whatever amount of time elapses between like canonically in the short and the movie, which I don't think is a very long time. I think it's maybe like days or weeks. Uh, something goes on where she's like something has deeply upset her and it's sticking with Mm. her. And that's where we pick up in the movie because she seems much more on the edge in the movie. She's constantly on the verge of having a breakdown. And over the course of the movie, I mean, more and more things happen that push her over that edge until the ultimate climax. That's a good point because you know what, what happens in the short is she, um, she scalps her client And then her client wakes up about like right after it happens Mm -hmm. and she's freaking out and Claire's trying to say, she's trying to, (laughs) she's trying to like calm this woman down and be like, I'm just borrowing it for a second. I'll give it back. Don't, don't freak out, calm down. And it's like, you can tell, you know, I mean, you can tell from the minute she starts scalping someone, but you can tell how detached she is from what's actually happening. Like, what she actually did, you know, or, or she realizes it, but she's like, it's okay. Like, I'm, I'm going to give it back. Like she's, there's that social disconnect there for you, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But she has to kill this woman, which she doesn't like to do. Um, no, she, she does not enjoy killing people. That's no. not like her intent. I right. think if Claire had her way, she would never kill someone. She would only take their hair. Her hair. Yeah. Yeah. So, maybe that's what happened. And because 
you'll notice in the movie when when she has to kill somebody in kind of a really violent stabbing dramatic way um it upsets her for days so maybe Mm -hmm. maybe that's where it's picking up to your point maybe it's after she's killed this woman in a really you know violent way while she's awake um and then we get claire a couple days later and that's the start of the feature film and that's why she's a little bit more morose yeah maybe that's a good point because we yeah sorry go ahead oh no you go Oh, I was just going to say, I think um, because you see how dramatically her mood changes based on, you know, what just happened to her. And it affects her for a while until something good happens again or until she puts on someone else's hair again or until she, Mm -hmm. you know, like she's very affected by even the smallest awkward interaction. So to her, like murdering someone while they're awake is like the most awkward thing that could happen. Yeah, she's she suddenly <laughs> has to confront them. You know, yeah. it, it, it's like if you are caught red-handed, like sneaking through, like I don't know, like your parents' drawers or something. You know, mm-hmm. like you're caught and you're like, oh god, I, I'm just gonna say whatever to like I just this is so awkward. But she's yeah. just scalped someone, yes. and so there's like this giant disconnect between yes. reality and what she's react because she, like you said, she's like. I'll give it back. She says, I just want to try it on. It's like, how, you know, how are you going to give this back? Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Because so in the, in the film, the woman does not wake up and um, she takes the scalp home with her and we that's where we're introduced to claire's lair as they say um claire's lair <laughs> claire's cellar her cellar and um the crew and the production designer um sarah sharp in one of her interviews um was talking about how they envisioned the space being like a nest and how like where they drew that from was that, you know, creatures and animals will build nests that make them comfortable. And it's not really, they're not really concerned with how it looks to other people or or not other people, but other creatures, you know, they just fill it with things that they like, whether that's sticks and mud or, you know, other feathers or whatever it is. And they wanted Claire's nest to look like that, like everything that makes Claire feel good and the lighting of the space is incredibly warm and the light is kind of low and it's very calm and um, it's a very sacred space. Like the yeah. only I think there might be a couple lamps, but for the majority of the lighting in her like little space is mm-hmm. from candles. Right. Like a ton of candles. And it's like a very ritualistic type of space where she like lights her candles. She gets everything, like she, you know, puts the new scalp on uh, one of like the glass Mm -hmm. dummy heads. She brushes it, like smooths it out, and then she'll put one on. And when she puts one on, she, you see her, and and Najara Townsend does this so well. She will disconnect from Claire and she'll try to become the person whose scalp it is. She'll Mm -hmm. say things that they said. Um, And it, for just like a minute, it, takes her out of her own life and that makes her happy because she's deeply unhappy deeply unhappy with who she is she's mm-hmm. a deeply self-conscious person she thinks she's very ugly she she does not believe you know in herself at all so 
getting to put on this hair is like becoming another person. And that's um, something that was definitely talked about a lot in this uh, visual essay uh, that's in some of the bonus content from Alexander H. Nicholas, where she says that, like, because Claire said, even says to Olivia, who's Bria Grant, hair is important, maybe the most important. And it's like, this is a magical transformation into becoming this person. Instead of just, it's just hair, you know, that's not a person. To Claire, as a stylist, that is the essence of it, of a person. So if mm-hmm. she puts it on, she's not Claire anymore. She's them. Mm-hmm. And I, they, Najara Townsend does that very like fragmented transformation into this other person really well because she keeps also coming back to reality kind of where she'll say something like that they said and then she'll be happy. But then she kind of breaks and she starts crying again. Mm-hmm. She ne- can never quite be that person. She does a, a yeah. wonderful job. She really does. The way that she kind of moves between emotions <clears throat> in the whole movie is fantastic. And she and it becomes clear that she uses hair and hairstyling as a way to connect with other people. And it's one of the only ways that she knows how to connect with other people. Or mm-hmm. it's one of the ways that she feels very comfortable. And she even says, you know, at one point towards the beginning of the film, I believe she says, that's why I do hair. You get into other people's lives, you hear their stories and you give life advice. It's almost like having a family. And that just shows you how alone she is and how, how she just doesn't know how to connect with other people. And they don't in throughout the whole movie, they, they, they give you some glimpses into Claire's life and you get a little bit about her parents. Um, but you don't really know what it was that happened that made her the way that she is. But that was an intentional choice. Um, Mm -hmm. It was an, it was an intentional. Yeah. On their part. Yeah. They didn't want to have like a huge backstory because they felt that that detracted from the story. So it was, it was more focused on what she's doing now. It's like, okay, obviously something happened to her before to, kind of Mm -hmm. push her in this direction in life but that's less important than what she's doing now yeah i think that was a an interesting choice yeah no absolutely so um so after claire gets back with the new scalp and we get kind of a peek into her lair then we see her put on the scalp and she kind of transforms into the woman that she was just um that she just murdered um we see her like kind of light up and become really happy. And then, um, and then we move on to the following day and that's where we get the first, um, I believe it's a text message, right? From Olivia. Yeah. Olivia is like, Hey, I have a hair emergency or wedding hair emergency. Can you please Mm -hmm. help? And she holds off on texting her back because she doesn't do wedding hair. Yeah. And then she eventually kind of gives in and then, it sort of kicks off her obsession with Olivia because Olivia's like, Oh my God, you're the best thing. I love you. And she takes that very seriously. Mm-hmm. And that it's really sad. <laughs> it is. And so what, what I thought was really interesting. So Olivia, like we said, is played by um, Brea Grant and 
the differences between the two of them are pretty striking and they're almost the polar opposites of each other is what Jill was saying. And Jill kind of based Claire off of herself and she based Olivia off of one of her best friends. And she said, of course, you know, Olivia and, and her friend are like whole human beings and they're not, they know that they're not perfect, but for someone like Claire and for someone like, you know, Jill was saying for someone like herself, you look at these people who seem incredibly confident and have everything seemingly put together and they're successful at their jobs. They're well-liked, you know, and you see them as perfect. And that's not the case, of course. And we see that with Olivia. She's not perfect. Um, And of course, Jill said she sees that with her friend, but that's what Claire sees. She sees Olivia as this very put together, perfect person. And she really wants that for herself, but she can't quite get there. Um, And what I thought was really cool was actually the costuming of the costuming is fantastic, <laughs> by the way, um, mm-hmm. in this movie. I love, I loved everything that Claire was wearing. But um, Claire, yellow is kind of Claire's color. But when she does wear patterns, the patterns are very tight and orderly. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was an intentional choice. And because that's how Claire is, she's very, you know, everything has to be certain way and if anything kind of gets out of whack it's like it derails her entire day and where on the opposite end you have olivia who's always wearing very like kind of flowy you know uh not necessarily like restrictive clothing like it's very like breezy and she's open and she's loose Mm -hmm. and she's you know having fun and nothing's really bothering her um at least when we first meet her and uh so I thought that was interesting. So we get this introduction to these two characters who are almost, you know, who just very seem on the opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. And with their hair. And I think that's pretty relevant. Like uh, Olivia's hair is very like kind of messy, you know, it, it's not like, you know, super I'm not saying her hair is shitty. I'm just saying like, you know, it's not like, like she has brushed it. There's no like pins in it. She kind of just like throws it up when she's running. She doesn't really do a lot with it, but it looks good. It's like a very effortless Mm -hmm. beauty. That's it. Yeah. Whereas uh, Claire, who is gorgeous, obviously, but she, her hair is like perfectly brushed, perfectly styled, perfect curls everything about her whole look is very, like you were saying, like tight and very neat and very perfect. Mm -hmm. And she still hates herself. Um, And she stares at herself in the mirror and she's just like weeping and she's like panicking because she just hates everything that she sees. One thing that I, I thought was interesting was that in the short, they make a point of showing a very big scar on her neck, almost like a burn. Mm-hmm. But that's not in the movie. And that was something that obviously causes her some distress in the short. But it's not in the movie at all. And I mean, we can see that because her there's a part at the end where her hair is up and there's no yeah. scar. So I'm not sure what the choice there, but I I thought it, it almost made her like disconnect from having any kind of self-esteem or recognizing the fact that she's gorgeous even more interesting because it's like you don't even have that to be self-conscious of not that that makes you 
less beautiful at all. But I can see why that might, you know, make you feel self-conscious. She doesn't even have that. She just hates literally everything about herself. And it's really sad. And I think, yeah, a a really uh, interesting difference between Olivia and Claire is their hair. (laughs) You can see that very plainly. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, and you know, now that you're bringing that up, I almost wonder if the reason they left it out of the feature length film was because they go a little bit more into Claire's history um, in the conversation that the two women have, um, which we'll get into when they're at Olivia's house. You get a little bit of background on Claire. And it's not much, but I think maybe if they had kept the scarring it might have been too much information about Claire. It might have required, yeah, a bit more, a bit more digging. And yeah. that was something that I know they definitely wanted to avoid. Mm-hmm. There was an interview with Jill where she said they, she really wanted to avoid any kind of like childhood flashbacks. And they did have that in like the original or an earlier bit version of the script. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, we don't, we don't want to do that. We really don't want to do a huge background into Claire. So they like deleted that and then they were left with kind of very little. So that was when um, they brought in uh, another screenwriter. Uh, let me see. Eric Stoles. That was when they brought, brought in Eric mm. Stoles um, and to help them flesh out, add more in the absence of Claire's background. Gotcha. And I agree. Yeah. Having the scar in her neck pro- would have prompted uh a deeper exploration as to what that was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah. So Claire has this exchange with Olivia over text and um, Olivia is like begging her to do her hair because her hairstylist had dropped her hairstylist for her upcoming wedding had dropped out. Um, So Claire responds the next day and, um, or she says so that she'll think about it. And then, um, And then we kind of get the first glimpse of Claire being, well, it's not the first glimpse of her being a little bit off, but she actually follows Olivia in her car to her home and responds, sure, y'all do it. You know, I've thought about it and I'll do it. And we see Olivia is like, she kind of lights up and she's really excited, but Claire watches that happen from her car. So we're starting to see this like obsession um well actually Claire's obsession preceding that you you mm-hmm. see a first glimpse of that with her first client because when she's first talking to her client she's like so you're in town for work and the client's like how did you know that and she doesn't oh, really right. answer her yeah so it's like somehow she already did research on the girl <laughs> that she's only gonna see one time because she plans on scalping her you know yeah so she's trying to find out more about her so she can become her Mm. later but yeah one of the the next sign is that she already knows where olivia lives and she just parks outside of her house yeah no you're right that's a good catch um i'm very smart (laughs) so moving past that Mm. um (laughs) so yeah so she you, you see her following olivia and it's it's creepy um and then i believe the next the next thing that we see is 
Olivia coming to the salon to get kind of her preview, her wedding. I don't know what you, I don't know what you call that appointment, where, but where people come in to get their hair done. As like a yeah, preview. it's just like yeah, like a practice style. Just yeah. to, she does her mm-hmm. hair like hey, this is what I'm looking for. Can you do this? And she styles her hair, and she's like, oh yes, perfect. This is what I want. Yeah, and she's blown yeah. away by it. She absolutely loves it. It's very like Stephanie said, her hair's down and it's free and it's in these beautiful like wavy curls and it just kind of goes with Olivia's personality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's at that point that Olivia invites Claire over for um over for dinner. She's like, "Well, I've got my hair done. Like I I don't really want to go out, but do you want to come over and hang out? I've got, you know, I can order food and I have wine and, or you can bring some wine if you want or whatever. And she's like, Oh my God. Yes. Claire yeah, this is like a moon. dream come true. And she's like, you can see it with the dress and, you know, we can like have a little girl's night. Yeah. And Claire is like so excited. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. blown away. Like she's just, this is, you know, you're getting the sense that this is the, like one of the only times that Claire has been welcomed somewhere by, you know, a peer or whoever. So, um, so she goes, Oh, well, go ahead. she's not, that I think that's something she's not really a peer because there's a really interesting class dynamic between Claire and Olivia because mm. Claire is, and this is not belittling hairdressers, but she's like, quote, just a hairdresser. You know what I mean? That's a profession that's not really looked highly upon. <laughs> it's more, you're just like a, provider of services you know what i mean Mm. anything in sort of like a customer service based thing is looked down upon by society by a classist society and and olivia is i don't know what her job is honestly she works like some sort of magazine she's some sort of like editor but she's definitely like she makes more money than claire she's more well off than than claire you know she's sort of ahead you know quote ahead of claire in a couple ways but there, there is definitely sort of a underlying class dynamic between the two women. Yeah, that's so. true. And, and you do see that kind of play in Claire's interaction with her clients um, throughout the whole yeah. movie. Because her clients are like, you, like, maybe the salon is expensive. I don't know. But her clients always seem to be like a little bit snobby, professional yeah, they're like professional women, you know, who are like, mm-hmm. oh, the glass ceiling is just so hard to break through. You know, I'm doing a, a British accent. That's my snobby accent. Um, that's the first, <laughs> that's the client in the short. And she says that glass ceiling is a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And she does not have an English accent. And they're all kind of like that, you know. So the, the yeah. women that Claire is like clinging on to aren't necessarily like, they're not really good role models either, you know. <laughs> they're They're just just kind of people they're just like slightly ahead of her in her mind in her mind mind, they're they're slightly ahead of her they're more ahead of her professionally right because they have like quote important or not even like important jobs it's not about the jobs themselves it's just the fact that they're kind of like higher on the their respective career ladder scale or whatever yeah scale yeah so she sees them as being like these successful women and she does not see herself that way mm-hmm. at all. Um, and 
like we said, Jill is a hairstylist um, and she lives in uh, Kansas City and um, still works there. Still works as a hairstylist there. Um, and something that was I thought was heartwarming and interesting was that a lot of the there was a lot of extras in this movie. And a lot of the extras were people that Jill knew from Kansas City. And I guess they showed up and um, and people were saying that, you know, like Najara was saying all the extras were more than happy to like stay late and, you know, do all this stuff because they were like, oh, I love Jill. Like she does my hair. I love her. Like she's the best. I'll That's do whatever. Yeah, oh. so, it, so a lot of the people just know Jill. Like she's just this... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but she's kind of like like this pillar of Kansas city and everyone just knows her. And she's like a huge Kansas city chiefs fan. And like, she's just, that's her town. So, um, people, and then she also happens to be an amazing up and coming horror director. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jill, I guess you've got a lot of talent, super talented. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, just loving the dream, um, and working hard. Uh, so Jill's badass. And, um, so anyway, so Claire just feels this, you know, kind of inferiority towards these women. So it makes her feel even further removed, I think. Um, and I've, you know, I've felt that way in like customer service jobs where oh, yeah. you, yeah you kind of feel this like envy towards people you see come in who you just know have jobs that pay way better than you, you know, than you get paid and you just feel that envy and you're like, I wish I was you. So I get that. <laughs> and I, before my current job, um, I used to be a barista for several years mm-hmm. and I felt so shitty a lot of the time for several reasons. Um, but I would I did like the opening morning shift. So I would serve coffee to some people around my age that were going off to what I felt like were more like, you know, important jobs or something. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm serving coffee to the people off to do uh, off to go into their place in life where I want to be. And I'm not yes. there yet. And I felt very, very behind. Yep. And I I don't really anymore, but at the time that was a really big issue for me and I I felt like I was like a teenager but I'm a lot older than that you know and I'm like what what the hell yeah. like I feel like I'm doing a teenager's job and outside of myself I don't think that of anyone else isn't that crazy? I don't look at a barista and think I you're know. so behind blah, blah, blah. I just thought that of myself I'm like I, I'm the failure I, yes. no one else is <laughs> I know exactly what you mean because yeah. I felt the same way because both Stephanie and I like worked in the service and like food industry and retail blah, blah, blah. for like for me it was like mm, like a decade or so and yeah, in various positions me. yeah in all kinds of you know cashier grocery store barista blah blah, blah. and um always felt like shit when I'd see people around my age, like coming in for coffee and going back to their like office jobs. I was always, that was always a tension that I felt. And, um, you know, now that I've, I've got, you know, office job, I, you know, I interact with, um, 
people in those service industry jobs. And I don't like, it's just this weird, like, I don't feel that way about them at all. But yeah. I, it, when you're, yeah. when I was for, I'm only speaking for myself and Stephanie I feel similar, but like when I was working in those positions, I can, I, I just can like commiserate with Claire on how she's feeling because that was similar to the way I felt. Except that in the movie, of course, people actually do treat her that way. They, they treat her as disposable. Right. And it, yeah. it it's like what we feel but come true. Like even if these people yeah. that we would serve in like, like Ashley's mind real life um, at the time didn't think of us that way. That was how we thought of ourselves. But in the movie, they do actually think of her that way. And that's how they treat her, which just yeah. adds to her alienation and loneliness and the, the feelings of just being invisible uh, and completely discarded. Yeah, absolutely. But back um, to Claire goes to Olivia's house. Yeah. So yeah. this is, this is a pretty, um, this is kind of a huge, a huge moment in the movie. So Claire goes back to Olivia's house. Um, and <laughs> Olivia, I think she goes to like give her directions when she's at the salon and, and Claire has to act like she doesn't know her already where she lives. Um, but she shows up and actually rewinding just a little bit, a scene that I thought was really funny is when Claire is at the grocery store trying to buy a bottle of wine. You thought and, it was funny? And she's just looking up so at this sad. wall. <laughs> the wall of wine. Well, it's funny in like a dark way because I know exactly like Claire's I, n- I don't know wine at all. So if I ever go to like buy a bottle of wine, I'm just staring at it. Like, what do I do? I have no idea what to do. And it's heartbreaking, but it's also kind of, it's funny, I guess, because I can commiserate with it. And I know oh. what that feels like to be overwhelmed by selection when it comes to especially wine. Cause people are so particular about it. They are very um, particular. So I thought that was, I, I like kind of, I was, I chuckled, but the whole movie is heartbreaking. But I, I did not chuckle. I was extremely sad for her. And yeah. I had I paused it to take a lot of notes because I'm like, the the way that they shoot it, it looks like this wall never ends and mm-hmm. it's just completely full of wine and it has, you know, tiny little Claire staring up at it and she's crying and she's so upset, she's panicking because she doesn't know what to pick. Because this is not yeah. something for one thing, it's not something that she ever does. She's not invited over anywhere. I don't think she just drinks wine by herself. Mm-hmm. And she, like Ashley said, she has no idea. Like Claire, or I'm sorry, not Claire. People <laughs> are, can they can be very specific about the kind of wine that they want. They're like, uh, I don't drink, I don't know, Cabernet. Right. Or they <laughs> get really snobby that, about it. Yeah. But Merlot, yeah. yes, please. And so right. like, that's what's going through her head is like, what if I get the wrong thing? I'm going to fuck everything up. Yeah. But she ends up getting Merlot, which uh Olivia's like, yeah, that's perfect. And it's yeah. like not it's like not Olivia even a could care less. Olivia. She's like, totally. She's like, oh yeah. Yep. It's great. wine. Crack it open. Perfect. Yeah. And and you just see this like wash of relief go over Claire. She realizes she didn't absolutely fuck everything up by picking the wrong wine. <laughs> and um and uh Najara talks about that a little bit. She's like, I I want people to really feel for Claire, even though even though she's doing awful things, right? And she's like, and it sounds weird to say, but 
she's like, I, I, I really felt for her. And that's what I want other people to get out of the story is like, I want them to be able to, you know, see her and feel, feel what she's feeling. But at the same time, of course, she has these coping mechanisms that are incredibly violent and murderous. So, um, I do feel for Claire a lot. There were times when I wanted to cry and kind of felt panicky. The wine part made me kind of emotional. Like it's not, that's not something that I personally experience, but I can empathize with her or like at least sympathize Mm -hmm. so hard. And I just like, I want to give her a hug, but then I also want to, you know, not die, (laughs) but I just want to be her friend and, you know, at the she same time, you're also like, yeah. she needs help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, she's yeah. killed innocent people, but also you can sympathize with what she's going through because I think it's in, at some level, all of us have felt what Claire is feeling, which is, I really want this person to like me. I want social cohesion. I want to be accepted by this person that I like, but how like what if they don't like me how do i like what do they want me to be how do i change myself to be something they want you know like that's a thing that everyone has gone through so um people cope with it in different ways and you know as you get older and if you're able to kind of face that about yourself hopefully it's something that you can get less anxious about and just be more comfortable around other people but i mean when i was younger like the anxiety that she feels when she doesn't hear back from somebody right away, the anxiety she feels when she thinks that she said the wrong thing. I have been there a million times. Yeah. Well, a million times. I think we all have in some way, some mm-hmm. people just a lot more intense than others. Yeah. So, yeah. So she, so she gets there. Uh, she gives her the the bottle of wine and um, Olivia in her free spirited way is just like, I was hungry. So I just ordered pizza. Hope that's okay. You know, she's just like bouncing around. And um, Jill said that with Olivia's character, she Brea was like the perfect person because she's already got that sense to her of being very um, kind of happy and a little bit lighter, mm-hmm. but she's also not somebody who is you can really fuck with, or it's not like she's, you know, going to just lay down and take whatever you give to her, but she's got like a lightness about her that she really wanted for Olivia. And I think of course, Bray is an incredibly talented actress and she does an amazing job with Olivia. And um, you kind of get a little bit more of a sense for Olivia in this. And then they go up and um, Brea tries on the wedding dress. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting scene. So they have their pizza, they have a little bit of wine, and then Brea's like, I'm going to go try on the dress and show you what it looks like with the hair. So she goes upstairs and tries it on, and then uh, Claire comes in and sees her um, sees her trying it on and kind of helps her button it up in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the whole time, I mean, at, like, Najara Townsend takes... So she does such a wonderful job with filling every single moment where it could just be an average moment where you you don't have to be emoting so many different things. But Najara is so good at like being, she takes up 
every single moment and mm-hmm. fills it with so much character and so much like unspoken story. Yeah. And every single facial expression she has, it, it's constantly flickering between, you know, if Olivia's looking at her, she kind of, she smiles really quickly, like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Nothing's mm-hmm. happening. And then she looks away and she looks so broken and, just so like envious so sad yeah she she loves olivia but she feels so alone and alienated from her she just wants to be accepted she hates herself she loves olivia like she (laughs) oscillates between all of these things and we can see it in her face yeah and it it's constant like it never stops like this movie feels so full because a lot of it is focused on claire's face so we're constantly having to see this like unspoken dialogue with Claire and her inner turmoil. Like for someone who isn't talking a lot of the time in the movie, she, everything she does speaks in like just volumes. Yeah. And in that, that scene when she, she first helps Claire button it up and she's looking at her and then she eventually helps her take it off. She's like, you know, unbuttoning the buttons in the back. She, there's a moment where they, the camera focuses on, Olivia's skin like on her back mm-hmm. and uh Claire is like mesmerized by it mm-hmm. and the whole shot is just filled with her skin and it's like this she is like entranced by it mm-hmm. and I think that's one of that that's like the first time that we see in this the stylist canon that we see her envy someone else's skin in addition to their hair you know mm. it's like at first it's like the hair is the essence of the individual but with Olivia, she wants to inhabit all of Olivia. Like she wants her skin as well. It, mm. You know, not necessarily to skin Olivia, but like to be in her skin. Yeah. Uh, which is something that she does sort of achieve toward the end. But we'll, yeah. we'll get into that <laughs> as we get to the end. And you but, know, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great point. And like. The other thing that they were talking about um, in the behind the scenes shorts is they were talking about the lighting and how um, that was incredibly intentional. Like whenever Claire is feeling comfortable or she's feeling okay, the lighting is warmer and like in her nest, it's like the warmest, right? It's incredibly, um, incredibly warm in there. And then what I noticed when she got to Olivia's house was um, the lighting is actually pretty cold there. I think it's, to be honest, it's cold most of the time, which would fit with that. Yeah. That idea that like specifics art, like artistic choice because yeah. mm-hmm. she's not comfortable most of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the warmest it ever is, is in her cellar slash nest area. Yeah. Like, yeah. Almost everywhere has cold lighting. I think. Yeah. And when, and when she goes outside, it gets like the coldest because she's incredibly uncomfortable around a bunch of strangers. But, um, and, and the other thing that you'll notice as you, as you watch the movie, and this was also an intentional choice by the costume, um, by the costume department and Jill was to, as the women kind of get to know each other, as the movie goes on, they actually start to share some of that, um, 
like the styles of their clothes start to mesh a little bit more. Like you'll see little elements of Olivia show up on Claire and you'll see some elements of Claire show up on Olivia, which I thought was really clever and interesting. So um, if you remember us talking about how distinct their styles were in the beginning, it starts to kind of mesh toward as they get to know each other um, mm-hmm. throughout the film, which is, which is pretty cool. But um but yeah, so she so she's there with Olivia and she starts to kind of help her with her dress and she becomes kind of entranced and mesmerized by Olivia's skin. And um and then I believe that's when they go back downstairs. Uh, Olivia changes back into her regular clothes and they come back downstairs. And that's where we get a little bit of insight into who um who Olivia is. She opens up to Claire a little bit and talks about her childhood and how her father um, left. Yeah. When she he, was young. Yeah. He was just like not really there. And yeah, her, her outside of her mom, her primary like father figure, I think is supposed to be her uncle. Yeah. Cause that's who's in this family picture that uh, Claire sees. And she's like, Oh, are that your parents? And she's like, no, it's my mom and my uncle. My dad mm-hmm. bounced basically. Yeah. Um, so she said, you know, I'm just going to walk myself down the aisle. Like I can do Mm -hmm. it. And, and she starts to talk about how she's had some doubts with or not doubts with the wedding, but she never thought she would get married. And it's, and it feels kind of weird to be married and you're starting to get a feeling for how like fiercely independent Olivia is. Um, and she mm -hmm. said that she was like, if she thought that if she ever did get married, it would be on a whim. It wouldn't be like this very planned out traditional type of wedding. It would be like, Hey, let's go get married. Like right now, like, I don't know, in Vegas or, uh, you know, like at the courthouse or something, you know, (laughs) just have a really quick thing, not this really planned out thing. So we start to see that she's, she's not, I mean, she's obviously not perfect because no one's perfect, but her life is not, at all like uh, right. Claire thinks she's she's not even I to me I I'm not sure that she even really wants to be with Charlie who's her fiance and he he's kind of we don't really get to see a lot of Charlie he has like two scenes <laughs> he's not in it much yeah he's he's kind of just like kind of blase about the whole thing and I don't think that he's really the right one for her and she's not mm-hmm. that in love with him um but that's the scene yeah. where we, you know, we hear a bit more about Olivia and she's like, yeah, like, I don't think I didn't even think of myself as getting married. And if I did, it would have been like completely on a whim, not the way that she's doing it now. Yeah. And it's almost like Olivia is in that moment trying to be a little bit more like Claire in the way where she's trying to be a little bit more put together, quote, put together than, you know, um, than she has been in the past where in the past she's been very free spirited and like, you know, in her own, in her own mind, very wild and spontaneous and ready to go. But she's doing this thing that's very traditional, which is, you know, getting married and having like a, a big wedding. Um, And that feels so out of place for her. But she feels like she has to do it. So it's almost like you're seeing her kind of step a little bit into Claire's world with the order and the tradition and the, all that stuff, but it's making her very uncomfortable. So um, that's to Stephanie's point where you start to see uh, that Olivia isn't this perfect being that Claire is making her out to be in her head. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, that, that's also where we get a bit of Claire's, the the biggest amount of the backstory old- <laughs> that we get, <laughs> yeah. which is not very much. And like, she, she kind of says that she had like a similar thing happen where her dad wasn't really there. And then she says, the only thing that she says about her mom is just that her mom was also a hairdresser and that she would constantly change her hair every few months. And she says that she uh, wouldn't know who was coming home every night. Uh, So we get the sense that, you know, this inconsistency with identity was a very big influence in her early, you know, childhood life. And then that her mom died when she was 17. So she had no dad. Her, I, I don't really know how she feels towards her mom, but her mom died, you know, 17 that's an awful awful age right you know just entering adulthood and you don't have your mom i mean that's just extremely hard time for that it's a very hard time yeah and so she just didn't really have any of these figures in her life um and she doesn't have any like brothers or sisters at least none that she talks about yeah but it's interesting because later when because this conversation really upsets Claire and uh, Charlie comes home like really soon after Claire kind of talks about herself Mm -hmm. and Claire is so upset that she is like, I got to go. Okay. I'll see you later. Bye. And she sits in her car outside and she's like berating herself and she's crying and she's like having a panic attack and she's berating herself over what she said about her dad. And like, it was so stupid. She keeps calling herself stupid. And that told me that maybe what she said about her dad wasn't true. Either that it wasn't true or that she said too much, you know, like she was too honest. Like maybe she should have said something else. I wasn't quite sure what exactly the situation was there. Yeah. But there's, she's berating herself over something that she said. She's so willing to just punish herself over saying anything that she perceives as wrong, even when no one else sees yeah. it that way. You know, I, I had that same thought. And then I, I think because I'm, I'm remembering the moment where she says, Oh um, yeah, I never knew my dad either. She kind of hesitates for a second. And it almost makes me think that she actually did know her dad, but that was a lie that she said in the moment um, to Olivia to make, to kind of build that bond. Um, yeah. And that, I think that that's I think that's what happened because we see her lie again over something very small <laughs> um yeah. later on and that's kind of she when she we'll get into we'll get into how that devolves but she does it again and it's kind of similar. So I I think maybe she lied about the dad but she was telling the truth about her mom and um whether or not the dad was around that long, I don't know. But um, in that moment, Olivia said, oh, well, you know, we didn't have them, but, you know, look how good we turned out. And um, you find out a little bit later that Claire recorded that whole conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's something big. She records pretty much all interactions that she has. And then she'll and she listen back them. to it. Yeah, yeah. And then she like, that's a that's a whole nother level of. Yeah. So, um, who would record themselves talking and then listen back to it? <laughs> Weird. Says the podcast. Uh, um, but yeah, no. So she records herself having that conversation with Olivia and kind of clings on to that 
phrase that Olivia says, because I think it's, it's a moment of like genuine connection that she just listens back to over and over and over again. You know, so I kind of get that in a way I, okay. I, I do not record conversations with people. <laughs> I was like, wait, what are we about to <laughs> I find kind of, um, I have this huge backlog. No, I don't do yeah. that. Uh, but when it, it comes to um, wanting to like relive a good moment over and over, I have a tendency to do that where it, it manifests more in uh, the books that I've read, a movie that I've watched, like a game that I've played. Um, I think a really notable first example was Harry Potter <laughs> when I was younger. I reread the book so many times that our parents were like, you need to read something else. And mm. I'm like, no. And it's because the way that it made me feel the first time, I needed to relive that over and over and over again so that I could be in that happy, safe space. Yeah. And I I still do that. I don't think as much as I, I used to because uh, – kind of a product of you know some trauma but that's still something I definitely do where the the way that I was feeling the first time or even the second third time mm-hmm. whatever experience I had where it was really good I want to keep on reliving that and so I'll keep playing it reading it watching it whatever like I don't just think about it yeah often I will interact with it again and try to recapture it in some way even if that's not always what I'm directly thinking of I'm like I just want to reread this or something but deep yeah. down I'm I'm trying to recapture that moment so I I yeah. kind of get that I don't oh again yeah. record anything <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, get I get wanting to relive this this good moment over and over and over again yeah no yeah it's I mean, it's something that people with, um, they say, anxiety do. So <laughs> I sure, do it as well. Sure have um, but yeah, when Stephanie's not kidding, when she says that she read Harry Potter um, back to oh, back yeah. quite a bit, it was like 20 plus times, right? It was. Oh, it was more than that. Yeah, yeah it was. It was, it a, was lot. a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, so she's so Claire keeps playing this back to herself. And I totally, like, to your point, that's another thing that Claire takes to an extreme, but we can all kind of relate to. Mm-hmm. I think people replay happy memories or they replay that moment where you really yeah. connected with someone over and over because it's, it's happy. It makes you feel good. And like, yeah, that that's normal. It, it's yeah. when it becomes really obsessive. And I mean, obviously in her case, yeah. she's, yeah. you know, recording conversations, yeah. which isn't, cool but it's when it becomes really obsessive and it kind of becomes something you need to do yeah in order to feel okay mm-hmm. that it's obviously a bit more disordered and that's obviously yeah. well claire. yeah no absolutely <laughs> and that's what i mean like everything that claire does and everything and that's why it's such a that's one reason it's such a good movie is because everything she does like she's a she's a serial killer mm-hmm. but what she does and the way that she reacts to things is so relatable because she's, she's so human, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and she's made to be such a human relatable character. She is like, uh, she is just like 
the most extreme version of every insecurity and anxiety that you have, right? Like manifesting itself. And, um, but she, it, it all comes from such a human place of just wanting to connect with someone and wanting some kind of bond, you know, mm-hmm. like she just needs human connection and she can't get it um, in a, any kind of a sincere way or healthy way. So yeah. And that scene where she's driving home and she's just like basically beating herself up for what she said. Um, it's so much self-hatred just coming out, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really sad to watch. And is that the moment where I'm, I'm, is that, is the following scene the one where she goes to um, the cafe? I don't remember the exact order of that. But I think I mean that's I, definitely in the beginning. With yeah, that scene. so I think that's the one where um let me let me scroll down to my notes. We have 13 pages of notes this time, so oh and no, I never even transferred the no notes big deal. uh from my tablet to uh our yes. little Google Doc, but so that is correct. So she goes um she goes back to her car and she's crying and she's upset. Um, and something else that happened that's important to mention is when the fiance comes home and kind of interrupts their girl's night, um, Olivia is telling him something and he kind of sharply interrupts her mm-hmm. and like either he kind of shuts her down in a way. And it really affects Claire um, because she sees him being mean to her or she takes it as like, whoa, that's fucked up. I remember thinking when I watched that, like, I th- I noticed that when it happened, but I didn't realize how big of an effect it had on Claire until she mm-hmm. brought it up in a later scene when she is at uh, Olivia's bachelorette party. She says, he interrupted you. And I, and she says it so strongly, you know, and so emphatically yeah. and something that has clearly been weighing on her that I didn't even realize because it seemed like she was just upset about everything. Yeah. But I thought that was, she had been holding on to that until she just like blurted it out at Olivia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very indicative of how she feels about, you know, her relationship with her own fiance. Yeah. And, and she's like, he doesn't deserve you. You know, and I, I wondered about that. And I wondered if the reason that she keeps bringing, bringing it up is not because it's not because necessarily she um what am i trying to say it's not because she wants or she's actually mad at him i saw and maybe this is a wrong interpretation but i saw it as like that's her like linchpin to getting more time with olivia is to say like hey your fiance is kind of fucked up you should probably leave him and then we can hang out, you know, like, I didn't know if maybe like, because she does seem very upset and very protective of Olivia, of course, because she's obsessed with this person. But I see it as like, she's also using it as like a tool to get more time. I think she is because she uh, there's a point in the movie where she shows up at Olivia's work, like in the parking lot, like, garage i think yeah of olivia's work and she she talks about how you know maybe this isn't the right guy or maybe they 
it, it's like two days before the wedding at this point, yeah. and she's she's basically talking about how he's not good enough for her. She and really Olivia doesn't. gets really mad at her, and she's like, yeah. you, "You don't say this to someone two days before their wedding, right?" And, like she, they have like a mini argument there, and yeah. they don't talk for like the two days like following up to the the wedding they don't talk mm-hmm. until her wedding day when she comes to do her hair so I, I agree i think that is something that she's trying to use against him to mm-hmm. separate them so that she can spend more time with olivia um so she's standing outside and watching this woman and um she decides to kind of sneak in at the last second and because she's so distraught over this conversation that she had with Olivia, this is going to be her coping mechanism. She's going to go in there and, um, you know, do what brings her comfort, which is scalping someone and wearing their hair. Um, and she has set her sights on this woman that she interacts with every day. This, um, it's, I don't know if she's supposed to be the owner or manager of this cafe, uh, but she goes in and orders her usual And the woman's kind of surprised to see her. And then um, she puts something in her coffee Mm -hmm. that's sitting on the bar. And um, again, drugging her like she does with all of her victims. And um, it's at that point that the woman, um, I think she goes to take the trash out and Claire leaves and she watches her pass out while trying to take the trash out. Um, so that's her cue, right? So she sneaks back in and goes to scalp her. And then what is it? What's, what is it that happens, Steph? She like kind of gets distracted or something happens. Yeah. So she's like starting on, you know, scalping her. She goes from, you know, one side of the head to the other. And then I think like her phone goes off. She gets distracted by something on the counter. I think it's her phone. Mm. And she... But she's still scalping. But since she's distracted, she kind of veers off course and goes and, like, kind of hits her eye. And it's just, like, this big zigzag across her face. And she's like, oh, shit. And then the barista starts waking up. And she starts to panic again. And she's like, oh, my God. This is (laughs) not good. And she's like, what? And she, the barista recognizes her. And she's like, what the fuck, Claire? Like, what are you doing? And Claire just loses it and she stabs her to death with the scissors that she's using. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely upsetting for her because uh, this is not what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And she goes home that night and she's like, she's just very, very distraught. And it's really where you get a sense that she does not like killing people. She doesn't even really think of, I don't think she really thinks of the scalping as like, taking something from them it's just like she wants to be them it's not really although i I do wonder what happens to like if she has to kill everyone i would imagine yeah or else she would be sort of notorious in like the tabloids is like you know all these people because that's not necessarily going to kill you but it will it's obviously very disfiguring and like that's a really big deal if there's all of a sudden all these people who have been scalped walking around. So I, yeah, I don't think, I mean, they don't talk about it and therefore it's not important. It's not really something you're supposed to think about, which is fine. But either way, you know, if she has to kill all of them, that's not what she wants to do. She doesn't Mm -hmm. want to kill people. And she's, I think even more upset by killing the barista because this is someone that she does see every day and it's not a complete stranger. 
So she does have yeah. a bit more of a connection to her. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, and when she comes home at the end of the night after killing people, she doesn't have like a body with her or anything like that. So it's it's not super clear, like Steph said, what happens to them. I think maybe. Um, I think she stuffed her in a trash can, actually. That's like oh, the only the time we ever see her dispose of a body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I th- the barista one is definitely like more messy. And it isn't the text that she gets when she's killing the woman from Olivia inviting her to her bachelorette party? Is that Maybe. when that I, happens? I don't really remember exactly. I just remember she gets distracted and I think it's by her phone. And I'm sure it's a text so from Olivia, but I don't yeah. quite remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, regardless, what, what ends up happening shortly after, if not in that scene, is she gets an invite from Olivia inviting her, saying like, you know, that she had fun and inviting her to her bachelorette party which mm-hmm. is coming up in like a couple days or something like that. Um, so of course, Claire is very happy about that. Um, and I feel like I'm missing something, but I, shortly thereafter, she uh, starts to get ready for the bachelorette party. And she's like trying on all of these outfits and dresses. Um, and I got the feeling that maybe some of these dresses were like her mother's dresses or something like that, because she takes like a lot of care with them. Yeah, and maybe. I, I don't know that for sure. I don't know why I have that feeling, but I think it's it because would, they all look a little bit vintage. Maybe it would kind of fit with who Claire is as a person, mm-hmm. though. Like, I don't mm-hmm. it's not confirmed anything like this could just be her style. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah, that that would absolutely fit. That it's things that she took from her mom after she passed away. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure just because like they all they're very different outfits. Um, mm-hmm. Like some are more, some are seem a little bit more like classic or whatever style, and some are uh, more like club style you know mm-hmm. um but she she goes with like this yellow dress it's very um is that the yellow dress that she goes with i can't remember it's just like yeah, this beautiful flowing dress it's the first one that she tries on and then she That's tries right. on a bunch of different ones until she eventually goes back to the first one right and it's like gorgeous you know absolutely yeah. beautiful everything beautiful she wears dress. is beautiful yeah 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 um and she gets all you know dressed up and she seems very happy and uh she goes out to meet Olivia at like a club. And um, so she shows up and she's very uncomfortable, you know, how's (laughs) I am when I go to clubs, I hate clubs. Um, So that's kind of how I am. So I can commiserate with that. Just incredibly uncomfortable around other people. Um, But she sees Olivia who's like kind of waving to her from up on this balcony uh, where her and her friends are and you can kind of see she's excited, but she's also incredibly anxious. And that's something that um, is just done really, really well. Right. Like she's able to navigate these like multiple emotions at the same time. She's yeah. That, yeah. That's Najara Townsend is really, really like uncannily good at that, at cycling mm-hmm. through all of these very similar but distinct emotions of like anxiety of sadness of like heartbreak in some moments to just being just having like regular nerves but especially in the club because i mean not only are there a ton of strangers around 
but she won't get a lot of one-on-one time with Olivia. She's also, Olivia's attention is shared between her, her uh, bridesmaids yeah, and, you know, her friends. And so, mm-hmm. and also she's not in this friend group. She just knows Olivia. And she also doesn't just know Olivia. She's just her hairstylist. So she can, she feels a little awkward. Like I, yeah. b- before the pandemic did uh, on the side, like professional wedding photography, it would be like, if I was kind of friends with one of my like one of the brides and mm-hmm. I was invited to their bachelorette party, I'd be like, well, I only know you. Yeah. So when you're not talking to me, which obviously you're going to talk to other people, I would just be standing around because I'm I'm not like super outgoing and I, yeah. I'm not very good at situations where I only know one person there. And God forbid if they leave me, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm going <laughs> to hang out in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and be a weirdo. Uh, but she's like in a very similar boat where it's like, well, if Olivia's not talking to her, she doesn't really have anything to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, she just feels uncomfortable. And like, I, I kind of think that anyone would feel a little bit uncomfortable in that situation, but she is Claire. So she feels it like a million times, a million percent more. Um, and the girls are kind of look at her strangely when she shows up too. like, they're not the most welcoming group of friends. Yeah, they're like, um, Hey, I know up? they're all kind of <laughs> like leering at her a little bit. So it's just made that much worse. Um, but she gets, she gets a little bit of alone time with Olivia, um, at periods like throughout the night. And at one point, Olivia brings up the fact that she loves to run and she asks Claire if she likes to run. And she's like, we should, you know, if you, if you're a runner, we should go running together, you know, after this is all over, do you like to run? And, uh, Claire clearly lies and says that, yeah, she loves to run. She runs everywhere, you know? And Olivia's like, Oh, great. You know, we'll, we'll run all over town. Like when the wedding's over, that's great. And, um, it's very clear that Claire has just lied to her. So that's like the second time where you're seeing her lie to try to be a little bit more similar to Olivia mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, and then, and then we have the scene where she goes to the bathroom um, where Claire goes to the bathroom and she's just kind of like overwhelmed and by the whole thing, by the whole night and the friends oh, she- are being weird to her. She's yeah. she's really she's panicking because Olivia earlier in the evening spilled some of her drink on her dress. That's right. Yeah. And she goes to she's like trying to leave to go clean it off like several times throughout the night because she is very very neat and there's some there's yeah. something disordered, you know, there's a stain on yeah. her dress. So she tries mm-hmm. to clean it off and in the process of trying to do that, two of Olivia's friends come in. And when Claire hides in the bathroom stall, they talk shit about her. And they're like, yeah, that hairdresser is really weird. And like, she was creepy. And I caught her staring at me. And, you know, just like generally being assholes about her. And they're like, who invites their, you know, hairdresser to the the bachelorette party? What am I going to invite my like cake decorator or whatever? (laughs) And they're just being mean. Yeah, they're just being assholes. Um. And that's obviously extremely upsetting to Claire and sets her off on another uh, <laughs> killing spree. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cause after that, which I, th- I thought this was a really sad and like heartbreaking moment, but it's a little bit like understated 
because right after that, she, she basically just leaves the club and goes to her car. And, um, you see her trying to text Olivia saying like, Hey, I'm just really tired. I'm probably going to head out. But what she sees happen is as she's texting Olivia, she hasn't hit send yet. She sees Olivia and her friends like leaving Mm -hmm. and just saying goodbye to each other. So it's clear that either they don't care about where Claire is. Yeah. Or or they just um, forgot about her. Or they just forgot. So it's this such a lonely scene, you know, of watching people just like forget about you (laughs) or just not care if you're still Mm -hmm. there, where you went, if you're okay, you know, like Olivia, maybe she's really drunk. I don't know, but she just isn't like, just doesn't care, I guess, where Claire is. So she stops. So that makes her more upset. Um, So then what ends up happening is she follows one of the girls um, who was talking shit. She follows one of them back to their house or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually, and she like breaks into the house after they've, after this girl and and her partner have like fallen asleep on the couch and she's gearing up to, to kill her. But then for some reason has a change of heart. Do you remember why? Uh, No, I think she just kind of hesitates and she's sort Mm -hmm. of panicking. So she goes into the girl's bathroom and she sees that there's like some prescription medication on the the counter and she's like, oh, and I think she's like thinking maybe she'll drug her. Mm. Um, But before she can decide on anything, the girl comes into the bathroom. So she has like a very, you know, she very narrowly... um, yeah you know misses an encounter with this girl she's like hiding Mm -hmm. in the bathtub while this girl is going to the bathroom and she's like inches away from her and the girl's like drunk and tired so she doesn't see her um but she she doesn't end up killing her Um, Mm -hmm. very narrow miss yeah yeah um so she has like an incredibly you know yeah like we said a narrow miss with this uh with one of Olivia's friends, she escapes. And then um, I think she spends the next couple days. This is when she spends like the next couple days waking up and checking her phone and trying to see if Olivia has tried to get a hold of her and she's not. So she's panicking and we kind of see her stress levels rising and she's getting more and more distraught as time goes on. And when she goes to like apologize or to like kind of confront Claire Mm -hmm. and that's when she shows up at her like works parking garage and Claire's like uh she gets the sense that there's something not quite okay she's she's starting to kind of pick up on there's something going on Olivia yeah uh Mm -hmm. is that did I say Claire yeah it's okay though (laughs) I I, okay last (laughs) night when I was watching this with Jay I kept getting their names mixed up I kept calling one of them you know Claire the other Olivia and I meant the yeah. other that meant the opposite it's and I figured it out it's because Claire the names Claire and Olivia kind of operate on the same wavelength to me mm. I feel like yeah. if your name is Claire you have a friend named Olivia and vice versa they're like they're just like the same vibe yeah. to me <laughs> yeah I can see that like kind of sound like like classical names or like names that you'd see in like Victorian literature or something you know they're kind of on that same I just think it's kind of a rule of the universe that if your name is Olivia, you have to be besties with someone named Claire. Mm. Therefore, I I kept, I keep getting their names mixed up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I meant that Claire goes to talk to Olivia and Olivia's kind of weirded out by it. And she says the whole thing about yeah. how she doesn't think that, you know, the the wedding should really happen. And then Claire, <sighs> Olivia yeah. gets mad at her and she's like, you don't say that to someone, you know, yeah. two days before your wedding. And then time, she doesn't talk to her at all before uh, the day of the wedding. Mm. And that's that's like the first time they talk over, you know, two days. Yeah. Um, yeah. During which time she is extremely upset. And it's just like killing her that she can't talk to Olivia and mm-hmm. um, and that she has to have some like healthy boundaries with her. And it's just like destroying her. Um, so she's just getting more and more upset. And um, she calls the house, I think, like the day before the wedding. She calls the house and Olivia's fiance picks up. Charlie picks up the phone and she's like talking to him and she's being very weird. And she's like, I got Merlot. Like, can I bring it over? And, you know, she's just doing everything that she can to kind of get this connection back with Olivia that she thinks is slipping away. And the fact that it's, that she feels like it's slipping away is making her much more intense. (laughs) Um, Making her grasp onto it. So, um, and she even like at the very end of that phone call with Charlie says like you interrupted her, but in and kind he, of like a lower tone, <laughs> he doesn't hear her. He's just like, all right, cool. I'll uh, we'll see you yeah. at the wedding. Bye. Like he yeah. doesn't even hear her. She even says yeah. this thing that she's feeling and he doesn't give a shit. Like no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Like, They're no not one can hear her. No one is yeah. actually listening to Claire. Right. Yeah. And, um, she's, I think she, she sees like, is it the morning of the wedding that she goes to that back to that cafe where she, she killed the barista and she sees the, um, the missing posters have been up for a few days, but there's also, there's a new poster and it is security camera pictures of Claire walking Claire, like, across the street yeah well mm-hmm. that was when claire had broken into olivia's house that happened somewhat sometime before the mm. wedding it's like between those two days where she's not talking to olivia claire breaks into olivia's house oh yes uh, while they're i think out for maybe like the rehearsal dinner or something like that right and she tries on olivia's clothes she, she steals one of her dresses yeah she uses her vibrator and like in the middle of it they come home and she's like oh shit yeah. How and she forget this scene yeah <laughs> i know this was a, a big scene um and she uh when she escapes she's like just again extremely distraught yeah and she needs to feel okay again so she's like her her killings get sloppier and sloppier and she mm-hmm. like her own rules get are, are just more and more discarded so she just walks up to a random woman's house the random woman also happens to be the director jill yeah jill which i thought was fun um and she's like uh like i need help can i use your phone and the woman's like jill's like yeah sure like wait here and she comes into her house and she stabs her like yeah. she just kills her on the like she stabs her in the neck and she just waits until she dies and then she scalps her, puts on the the hair and she's like eating ice cream or something while watching yeah. cartoons. She's while, like eating her food, yeah. 
while a dead Jill is laying on the floor in a pool of her own blood and Claire's just like laughing and mm-hmm. like, you know, just watching these very like childish cartoons. And it's like, yeah, th- this is a moment where she is almost completely snapped because like nothing is going right. Everything is just failing. She's not connecting with Olivia. She's not friends with her yet. Her friend, Olivia's friends have rejected her. No one is listening. Yeah. that That's a really cool moment where she's like, you can see her like she's like really intensely in this persona mm-hmm. where she's very much not Claire and she's like very manic. Whereas previously when she's put on like, you know, quote wigs, this is people's actual hair. Um, she kind of slips in and out of character really easily. But in this scene, she doesn't, she like really stays in character quote, you know? Yeah. Um, just, she yeah and that happens like right before the wedding yeah and yeah then like the wedding s- yeah the wedding happens <laughs> yeah that yeah the scene where she uh where she kills jill <laughs> is is intense and that that moment where she's like eating cereal or, or whatever and she's just like sitting cross-legged on the couch laughing with like this woman's blood going down her face whereas before it's like the quote wigs are very mm-hmm. cleaned up and there's not blood going down and she's like making sure yeah. it's all nice and ordered. And in this case, it's just like, well, she like the brushes most... the hair beforehand. Yeah. It's very neat and very like much like a ritual. This is yeah. like this frantic manic killing. And yeah, like it's very dirty. There's blood going down her face. The woman is laying right there. She doesn't even bother to clean it up. And that's when yeah. there's security camera footage of her, uh, I think like leaving this woman's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's just totally not clear about it at all. Right. So, yeah. So then the next morning is the morning of the wedding and um, she goes, she gets her coffee. She sees that, well, chai latte. <laughs> she sees that there's um, uh, the security camera footage of her um, printed out on a piece of paper up in the cafe and she snatches it down in like this very public way um, and goes to the wedding and she, she sees Charlie and she, she kind of interrogates him outside of the the church a little bit. She asks him some questions and is like, you're going to make her happy. Right. And like, you're going to see her. And he says, yeah, like, of course, you know, I'll do my best or whatever. And she kind of gives him a little smile that makes me think that it kind of seemed like she forgave him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she gives him this little smile and she goes in and gets set up and um, gets set up to do Olivia's hair. And kind of in Olivia's way, you know, she comes over and she's like, Claire hi like i'm so sorry i snapped at you the other day like i'm just i've been under so much pressure and it's right up you know the wedding was in was stressing me out blah 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 and so all is well with olivia you know she's like it's no big like claire says no it's fine you know and and starts to do her hair and once again gets kind of lost in it um and after she's done doing her hair oh you know what forgot to say when Claire was getting ready for this, for this wedding day, she's looking at pictures of her mother as yeah. she's getting ready. And mm-hmm. she's sort of styling herself after her mother. Um, 
she's like looking at her hair and looking at the way that she's, you know, turned and in some of these like wedding photos or pictures of her dressed up and she's trying to kind of mimic her mother. Um, so after she's done doing Olivia's hair, she sees there's like a little girl who's I guess supposed to be the flower girl. And she's like, can I do your hair? And so she comes over and she does this little girl's little girl's hair. Now, Stephanie, I want to get your vibe on this. Is the little girl. Yes. Vibe check. <laughs> vibe check. One, two, three. <laughs> Is this little girl supposed to be Claire when she was younger? Because no one else seems to talk to the little girl but Claire. I have no idea. I thought she was just a flower girl. <laughs> I thought so too. But then um, when she's looking at the photos, like when, her, when she's looking at the photos of her mom, she's in some of the photos as a child. And this little girl looks like her as a child oh. a little bit. So I was like, and Claire is so incredibly comfortable with this little girl. Yeah. That I thought it was odd. And then, um, so and then at the end of the movie, it kind of like really like I, I think I really thought that because we'll get to it in a second. But um, basically, Claire. Um, what am I trying to say? <laughs> basically, all the women are getting ready and, you know, everything's going well. They're not really paying attention to Claire, um, but she's doing the little girl's hair. And um, at some point, everyone kind of leaves the room and. Claire goes to the bathroom or she's like getting ready to, she's going to go use the restroom, but she accidentally stumbles upon Olivia and her fiance. And they're like acting very cute together and very in love. And, um, and then she actually goes to the bathroom and it's at that moment. The editor was saying that for all of Claire's scenes, he always cut right when she inhaled. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he's trying to, he was trying to like show this sense of being like very like, like not being able to breathe. Like Claire yeah. just feels so tight all the time. So it's that scene when she's in the restroom and um, I think one of the bridesmaids asks her to come help Olivia button up her dress. That's the only time we ever see the, the cut is ever on Olivia is ever on Claire exhaling. Mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, yes, like, she's finally, she's, like, happy, because I think she kind of, like, knows what she's going to do. Um, and she goes, and she she helps Olivia button up her dress, and <laughs> it's that moment where she's like, I have to confess something to you, and she, like, grabs Olivia's hands, and she's, like, starts sobbing, and she's panicking, trying to tell her this, and she's like, I don't run. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't go for runs. And um Steph, why don't you pick it up from there? <laughs> yeah. I've been talking for a while. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, shut up. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's the last that we see of Olivia and Claire. She just says, I don't run. And it's like, okay, that's not that big of an admission. And then it it just shows and the wedding, like, you know, the ceremony has started, the bridesmaids come down the aisle. It's all building to the bride coming down and the bride comes down. And so the second that I saw her come through the door, I was like, 
okay, this is, it's Claire. Because she's wearing like a, a veil that's thick enough that you can't quite mm-hmm. see her face. Um, you can see a little bit. I think something that's interesting and not like super confirmed, I think they switch between Bria Grant and Najara Townsend in that scene where, you know, in one angle it'll be Olivia and in the other it'll be Claire. Yeah. But I just, I kind of just knew, I'm like, it's it's going to be Claire. And I was feeling so much dread. I'm like, oh my God, she's going to, you know, she's obviously going to be wearing her hair. Yeah. Maybe something else. I don't even know. This is going to be bad. And I'm just like, there's so much tension. So she makes it down the aisle and, you know, they, Charlie lifts her, her veil and yep, it's exactly what I thought. It's Claire <laughs> wearing Olivia's scalp and she's like just beaming. She's so, so happy. Because in these this brief moment where no one can quite see her, they assume, obviously, it's Olivia. Why would mm-hmm. it be Claire? And in that moment, it's the only time, I think, in her life where she's felt truly loved and wanted. And she's accepted where she is. And it's because no one truly knows that it's, it's her. But in her mind, because she's wearing Claire's scalp, she's also, or Claire's scalp, Olivia's scalp, She's Mm -hmm. also not Claire in that moment. She is Olivia. And you can really see that when there's a part where they they keep cutting from like Charlie looking horrified to like the, you know, people sitting at the pews, like looking horrified, cutting back to Claire smiling. There's a part where they cut to her and it's Olivia wearing Mm -hmm. like her own scalp, you know? Um, And it's like this moment of, pure transformation where she has finally achieved her goal. She is now Olivia. No one else obviously sees that. That's her seeing herself as Olivia. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's only when people start to pick up on, uh (laughs) uh-oh, this is bad, and they start screaming and leaving the church that she, it all comes crashing down. And she's- the most alone that she's ever been. People are seeing her in her, what she feels like is her most beautiful. And they are running away, screaming, afraid Mm -hmm. of her because she has (laughs) really messed up. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's where it ends. And it's, it's a very heartbreaking scene. And I mean, obviously, you know, you're very sad that she's killed Olivia. Um, But just that, that you know those few seconds where she everyone thought that she was olivia she she essentially was olivia in her head and it just when people see her true face they run away screaming yeah. is like the whole theme of the movie that if she tr- shows her true self people will run away screaming obviously i think it's because she does really horrifying things Mm-hmm. But that's something I think that a lot of people with a similar kind of like social anxiety feel that if people knew who they really were, they would hate them. And granted, people with social anxiety don't kill people, you know, <laughs> and try right. to become them. But that's a really big thing that people worry about is, well, if they really knew me, they would know that I'm garbage or something. They would know that yeah. I'm a bad person. They don't actually want to hang out with me. and. We all, to some extent, as very social creatures, will take on um, sort of aspects of other people's personalities and like uh, idiosyncrasies and movements, like little habits that they do. We all do that, 
you know, we kind of adapt to the people around us and they adapt to us. Um, so we'll kind of mimic each other as a way of it's like, like social acceptance of trying to like fit in with a group because the last thing that we want to do as people is be rejected from the group. Cause that, you know, yeah. there's all sorts of like evolutionary stuff behind that. But, um, she obviously, you know, this is a horror movie. So she takes that to the extreme and she mm-hmm. doesn't just take on aspects of the person's personality or, you know, little movements and habits. She becomes that person. So when people see her for the fraud that she is in that moment, it's she is the the ultimate rejection. <laughs> Well, like, yeah, yeah. She's, you know, probably going to go to jail or, you know, like her life is over, basically. Yeah. Because she yeah. has finally come forth with who she is and it's a monster. And it's really, really sad. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you spend your, your life um, trying to be other people, then you have an incredible loss of identity because you don't actually know who you are. And I think that's what Claire is dealing with. Like she doesn't know who she is, you know, she has no sense of identity. It's so very detached from herself. She wants to be really detached from herself. She pushes herself away from herself because she's like, nothing about herself in her eyes is redeeming. So she is never in any moment comfortable with herself (laughs) or like where she is everything Mm -hmm. is bad yeah yeah so so she just yeah so basically she just tries to build up an identity around who other people are and you know it doesn't work out because that's not who claire is so um yeah so that's the that's the end of the the film so it's an incredibly as you can tell very heartbreaking very sad but very very well done, very well acted, written, directed, just all around an amazing movie. Um, and if you do watch it, which, you know, if you've mm-hmm. been listening and you don't know they're recommending it, we are. On Arrow, they have a ton of bonus content uh, that you can watch. And there's a particularly amazing um, piece. It's a visual essay. I think I already talked about this a little bit, but it's a visual essay by Alexander H. Nicholas called The Invisible Woman. And it uh, talks a lot about uh, invisible, well, <laughs> the invisibility of women's labor generally. Mm-hmm. And when I was first watching it, I was like, how the hell does this connect to the stylist? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if this is about women's labor. It's about the invisibility and uh under research of female like serial killers and women kind of in crime in specifically murder which is an area of like crime that we don't generally expect women to inhabit because it mm-hmm. it is and again like it is typically male dominated when it comes to serial killings but there are female serial killers throughout history right. and that's something that even though it is much smaller than men is something that still happens, but it's not researched very well. So it's not very well understood. Yeah. Um, So this essay, this video goes a lot into that about um, the invisibility of like 
even though it's very extreme and it's not like traditional work, it is the invisibility of that particular kind of labor. Yeah. Where we this lack of understanding of women who kill. And mm-hmm. this movie was really trying to go into, you know, why this woman would be killing, how she sees herself, um, and and just sort of why she does it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's, we said in the beginning, it's a very big character piece, uh, an examination of this woman who you both empathize <laughs> with and also fear a great deal. Yeah. 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 So I would really recommend watch all of the bonus content. It's awesome. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, definitely, I took a lot of notes on that. <laughs> and it's great. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. And just like, you know, just some side note things that we got from behind the scenes stuff that I thought was interesting. Like the whole cast and crew was very close and very friendly with each other. And there was a, there was like a few different people who were married couples. And there's a couple like, um, I believe the production designer and the costume um, designer were like sisters in law, sister in laws. I don't know how the poor, poor sisters in law. Plural. Thank you. I'd like to think that it's that. Um, uh and like um Najara was married to the first assistant director so he was there on set with her and like they had been wanting to do that forever and it just kind of worked out where this was the first movie that they had gotten to do that on um and so the and everyone was very friendly apparently and very just like happy to be with each other and so that kind of came through I think in how well everything was pulled off. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting was they actually filmed one of the scenes was filmed the day of, or the day before the Super Bowl, where the Kansas city chiefs were actually in the Super Bowl. And, um, they, they had to like very quickly film this one scene that was right on the parade route. And it was the club scene. Um, cause it was right on the Super Bowl parade route and they were filming it the day before the parade. So they were trying really hard to like not capture any Super Bowl stuff in frame because there was a lot going on on that particular street. So I thought that was pretty funny. And, um, Jill is like a huge Kansas city chiefs fan. So it was, she was up like she said at one point for just like three days straight because she wanted to like go out and do Super Bowl stuff, but she was filming this movie at the same time. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, I was going to maybe make a joke about like how often are the, the Kansas city chiefs in the Super uh, Bowl, but I both know nothing about that. And I also don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was funny because I think Najara was like, um, well, I guess I like the Kansas City Chiefs now, but I don't really know anything about football or them or anything. But she's like, if I didn't like them, Jill would come after me. So I have to say that I like them. Um, so <laughs> and they've worked on a lot of things together and I think they're working on more things together in the future. So um, they're good friends. And and like I said, they've they've been on some projects together in the past. So. Hopefully we get to see something from the two of them again soon. That would be awesome. Um, but yeah, we highly recommend the stylist. Obviously it's a fantastic movie. Um, 
brilliantly done and just a lot of women involved, a lot of, you know, um, women involved in the making of it and which is cool in and of itself. And that's something that Brea talked about. She said, you know, once you get to like your mid to late thirties in the acting world, it's kind of things as get a more woman, as a woman, yeah. things get more difficult. And she was like, so it was just a lot of fun and a very unique experience to be on a set with a bunch of women who were my age and um, have it be most, have it be about us and not, and Jill was saying it wasn't that I like set out to be, this is just how it formed, you know, like it was just natural that it formed this way. It wasn't me, you know, necessarily, I'm trying to phrase this in the right way. She was just like, I wasn't forcing anything, but this mm-hmm. is the story that I wanted to tell. And this is how it, how it formed itself. And I'm so happy that it did because it brought a lot of really creative and talented women together to create a horror movie, which in the, in the world of, you know, entertainment, there's already not a lot of female um, filmmakers, but especially when you get to a genre level, there's not a lot of women who create horror movies, um, feature length horror movies. So there's not a lot of women who get the chance to, because there's a lot that want to, they just don't ever get the chance to. Um, And yeah. Blumhouse. Right. And I don't know if you know what I'm referring to. Just their lack of diversity. No, of Jason Blum at at one point, like a couple years ago or something, saying that, well, we don't have like a lot of women like filmmakers in our like, you know, the Blumhouse brand um, Mm. because there aren't a lot of women directing horror. And then people were like, uh, (laughs) yeah. They sure are, and they want to. You're just not giving them a chance, right? So they like, like they don't get the made, chance. Like yeah. a their mission statement to like have you know a more diverse um, mm. array of classic uh, directors. But there are women out there who really want to make these movies, but we need to empower them to do so. Yeah, yeah, and that's what Brea was touching on. She's like, it's so slow moving trying to get this to become more of a thing, and as much as we as much as people say that it's getting better, it's so slow. So I'm so glad that something like this exists. It's kind of like a very rare project to be a part of. So yeah. If and you on enjoy, that note, go watch Bria Grant's uh, Lucky. It's very good. It I need to watch that. deeply upsetting, um, but it's wonderful. It is a wonderful movie. So go ahead and watch yeah, that. Yeah. I got to watch that next. Um, that's on the list, but yeah, thanks for joining us on our, I think this is, this is a, this is a pretty in-depth movie review that we did and it's such a great movie and we're so excited for you to go watch it. Check it out. It's on arrow. Like we said right now, um, got a lot of bonus content you can watch alongside of it. So you can see how they, how they made it and just hear from everyone that was involved. And yeah, thanks for coming along for the, the ride the spooky ride <laughs> the spooky town ride um and uh yeah steph you want to sign us off with your signature um sign off <laughs> my signature sign off i want yeah. to see candy man please please yes please <laughs> please 
Please let me do this. <laughs> Please stay. I'm going to be saying this until August when it comes out. So, like, yeah. honestly, just fucking shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'll just put it on a loop at the end of every episode. That way you don't have to repeat it. Um, I'll make it my yeah. ringtone. Stay in. Stay safe. Because we Get are still in a pandemic. If you can. Get vaccinated if it's available for you. And as soon as it's available for you. And watch and just horror don't be movies. dumb. And watch horror movies. Yeah. And that. And let us know what you think of this. We loved it. So. Okay, great. All okay, right. Great. Love you. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>